Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, looking for my good buddy, Seth Robinson. Seth? Hey, I'm glad to hear your voice. You were saying earlier that you were having internet problems. Uh, yes, I am still. We have an outage in the area, but I'm able to do a hotspot with my iPhone, and it's actually been working quite well this morning, So, um, or now this afternoon. Uh, so hopefully... It'll carry me through the day and the outage will go away. No idea what's wrong. The, the weather's fine. It's probably some sort of maintenance thing or somebody, I, I don't know. I have no idea. You can't get in touch with the cable company because everyone else is trying to get in touch with the cable company. But yeah, getting through. How are you doing? How are you holding up? Yeah, we're good too. We've had we've had a, a couple outages as well and um, they hurt a lot more than they used to <laughs> when, when the internet goes out. It's like your your last lifeline to the world. So um, yeah, right now for sure. Yeah, but uh, I'm glad that you were able to find a workaround. I'm glad that we're able to talk again. Yes, indeed. So today we're going to talk a little bit about a major event that we've had at CompTIA. Uh, like every other company, CompTIA has been impacted by this, and one of the primary things that we do here is certify. IT professionals or people that are trying to become IT professionals. And uh, with, with all the lockdowns, that became a bit of a tricky proposition, but we were fortunate enough to be able to pivot into online testing. And you and I, Carolyn, didn't really participate in any of that. And so we wanted to reach out to someone that did, that led the effort on that and has been on our podcast before. We are very pleased to welcome back Randy Gross. He's our CIO and Executive Vice President of Certification Operations. Hey, Randy. Hey, guys. I mean, you guys sound like a, a proper like NPR-level podcast at this point. I mean, you've got the, 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 the pace, the tempo, the tone, the dialogue. It's, it's just <laughs> impressive, and I'm honored to return and, and sit with you virtually today as I was, you know, the first time I came. Well, yeah. We're glad to have you back. We have very few repeat guests. You're, you're, one, you're in a, a pantheon of the repeat guests. I'm happy, honestly, to, to be here. I truly am. It's great. With the topic for today being kind of education-related, uh, long-time listeners of Ollie will, will know and, and probably have gotten tired of hearing that Randy and I went to high school together, and uh, that's where we began our, our educational experience. So always glad to reminisce on those times, my friend. It is. You know, I was, I was thinking with the ample free time that I have all the time now, Wow, my, my favorite educational memory we had, and um, it, there's so many, there's so many, but I think there's one that I immediately came to mind, and it was actually off-site education. It wasn't even in the classroom. We had the opportunity to go to, to Washington, D.C. for a junior trip, which was wonderful, wonderful actually, and had a, had a great time. We had a room, I think, was it, it was four people to a room, right? Four to a room, yep. It was not a good hotel, if I remember correctly. Not at all. No, I believe, <laughs> that either, I believe it was either a motel or an inn. Um, and it was not the, the premium inns that exist now. Um, I believe you could see your car from, from your room. Um, and you walked upstairs and opened it from the outside. So, you know, it was like a, a B-level movie of some sort. Anyway, we had our four, four amigos. We were all good friends. And one of the guys was not being very nice. Um, I'm not sure what exactly was going on. He's being rather selfish. And, and so, you know, we were procuring supplies and we went over to the local donut shop. And he was very insistent on this one donut he wanted and it was weird. And so the, the culmination of, you know, an eight hour trip up there plus a bunch of other crap that went on revolved in us starting to plan delicately as to his demise. 
And we arrived on something that would be cream filled, except it wasn't cream filled. Um, we decided we would go with shaving cream into the middle of a donut that looked like it had cream in it. And we were excited. Um, we did this at 1030 at night when he was out of the room and we waited all night. And in the morning he was additionally excited and at approximately 743 AM. I remember the time very vividly. He took his first bite in and then he took a second bite. And that's when the screams of this is shaving cream started. And I believe there was mild tussling after that or wrestling of some sort. Um, and we've referred to that story now for the last 30 years. And it is fantastic every time I think of it and it makes me chuckle. Seth, do you have the same recollections? It was great. It was amazing. I mean, like you said, from the time that we implanted the shaving cream. Yeah, how, uh, did, you, how did you do that exactly? This is what I've been running around in my head. How did you inject the shaving cream in well, without, without the donut looking compromised? So what you had to do is peel back a layer of donut skin. <laughs> you, you poke the, the, the filling in because you can't pull it out because that would destroy the, the architecture of the donut. Yes. And then you fill it up. You push the skin over with a mild indentation, and then you place it strategically with that part down in the box it's lifted up in, you know, the ecstasy that will become eating the donut overrides all that. And there you have it. Now, my question set though is like, we were what, like 16 years old. What the hell do we have shaving cream for? Like, honestly, who has I'm, that? I'm sure it was aspirational. <laughs> all I want to know, I, I need to see the yearbook photos of you two. One of these days, <laughs> one of these days. Uh, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe one day that'll, that'll become true. But yeah, we, the, the other three of us were kind of waiting around a lot like Harry and Lloyd in uh in dumb and dumber when they when they slapped the peppers on that guy's sandwich and you know luckily cardiac arrest was not the result of our prank but it was good times yeah and, and talk about the gift that keeps giving me it's been a payoff for decades it's great it's always so good sad. to have like a good cocktail party story right yeah that's yeah. a good one yeah it's very ma- it's very male centric that you can't see it this is. yeah it is but that's okay fine sorry um we'll come up with a female centric one oh i probably could come up with a few of those but we we digress we can move on all right fine we do we do so yeah to to return to the topic at hand randy like i was saying we we had to pivot to online testing which was something that we've been looking at for a while it wasn't like we were completely caught flat-footed on this but still there was a scramble and that scramble turned out successfully for us so you want to share kind of, you know, what went into the decision and the process and, and how things turned out? Yeah, I think for um, for the last five years or so, online testing has made us a slow, slow climb up the, the importance level for just the overall certification community. Um, there's a conference I go to called the Association of Test Publishers. <laughs> Sounds very interesting. It's actually very exciting. It actually is. I love it. Um, and they, we, we consistently have talked about that over the years. There's been a number of companies that have offered the services, a number of our competitors as well pseudo competitors that, uh, that have started going down that route, but the penetration has never really gotten up there for a variety of reasons. We've actually gone down the route of looking at kind of building our own testing systems, which we've announced at a number of our conferences and um, been working on that for a while with the idea that it would all be remotely proctored. And there's a number of companies that do offer that service a variety of different ways and different ratios of proctors to students and on and on and on. A lot, of, a lot of that. A lot of the concerns along the way have been twofold, really. There's security, which everyone thinks that you can cheat easier. And then there's also sort of the performance and the overall of the overall system and making sure that it's equivalent. And fairness is really important in certification. So you have to get that right on both accounts. And so there's ways of, of checking that with statistics and, you know, just the, the overall design of the program. But for us, it was something that we have every intention of doing. And we've, we actually did a pilot several years ago on it 
and ultimately ended up having decent success, but had to close it down because we were actually concerned about some security issues we found. Anyway, we work with Pearson View for our testing centers today, and they actually offer a, a solution called OnView that we're working with now that we're basically integrated pretty heavily with them already. And so it was very easy for us to turn things on. So they've been delivering through this system, they just overhauled it about a year ago and increasing the number of clients. There's a lot of IT clients that everyone here would know um, that are already on there. And so we were kind of the last of their larger clients to, to, to join their system. And it was pretty seamless to be perfectly honest. We were able to, to, to start up within about a month, which is very quick in this business to make sure things are done well. Registration started that same day and we've delivered thousands of exams since. And we, we started deliveries roughly two and a half weeks ago. So I don't know, that's, that's a whole lot of talking. I, I can certainly help, happy to clarify or expand on anything. Is this across the breadth of our products that we offer? Yeah, yeah. So that was the cool part was we were able to deliver every one of our exams save for two um, on day one. Today, actually, we launched Server Plus, or maybe tomorrow. And then our CTT Plus exam is one of our, our longest tenured exams. I think we're going to launch probably later in the month. So yeah, for us to go wide with that was, was really big. You know, I think a lot of programs have sort of started out slow. Not a single certification organization in the world has the opportunity to go slow right now. Now is the time to, to balance everything from obviously revenue is important, security is important. And, and, and thankfully, had this happened three years ago, we would not be in the same position. And, and thankfully, we, are, we were able to take advantage of some existing platforms that worked out really well. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm fascinated, though, or curious about the the cheating aspect of this because I know in classroom uh, testing there's a proctor there obviously it's um, similar to taking an SAT or other exam like that so how do you account for that sure there's a lot of security techniques uh, that I don't can't really get into yeah I don't uh, want we, you to divulge secrets yeah. or anything but is you just kind of give us a general sense of absolutely yeah 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 so there's a lot of things that what I was going to say is there's a lot of things we can do with test centers today and the ways that we are able to check and see performance and you know there's 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 a lot of different ways people cheat already and that we we can attack in a variety of ways i think for remote proctoring there's several that i think are, are relatively obvious so people capturing the content for example is something we're concerned about because it costs a tremendous amount of money and time to develop that and so people worry about virtual machines uh, running and being able to take care of that or use something as simple as a, a camera, even embedded in, a, in classes, we do check for that as well. There's, there's all manner of ways people try to capture the content. So that's, that's almost theft, right? So someone yeah. who's taking things from us is one thing that we do want to protect against. The cheating side is what we're also concerned about because we're trying to credential people to a job role to make sure that they can perform. So in order to do that, you have to know who they are the cool part about the new system is it actually checks through a global database of ID providers. So if you think, you know, 200 different countries out there, the provider knows all what those IDs are going to look like, not only from the country, but for each state, the IDs are then checked directly. Whereas the test center now, it's more of a, a physical comparison. So that's one thing that's big because you might not believe it, but there are people who pay other people to take exams. So that's, <laughs> elimin that's yeah, who knew? Um, that's eliminated it completely. And we, by the way, we do have ways of finding those people as well at test centers too. The other, the other way they can do it is having materials next to them, having uh, something on, on their screen that says, you know, here's all the, the core stuff you need. So, you know, we lock down the computer. So when you start taking an online exam, the browser locks every, all your system, all your programs down. So we ask you to close everything gracefully prior before you even install the client and then 
once that occurs, it basically monitors to make sure you're not turning anything on. And in large parts, you can't turn it on. The other thing too is making sure, again, going back, the person says who they are, there's a camera running all the time. So from the second you start the application, just waiting for the proctor, it's recording until the second you close it, it's recording. And so that, what that does is it allows us to make sure that your behavior the entire time, where you're looking, where you're sitting, all of that's taken care of. And there's a lot of other environmental factors. You know, we, we, we request access to your microphone for obvious reasons and, and kind of go down those routes. So it's pretty, it's pretty involved. The final check is the proctor. So you've got proctors watching every single test center, a live person who's assisted by AI to make sure that behavior is not aberrant is what it's called in the certification business. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot that goes into that. It's interesting to hear. I think so many people, you know, have no idea of the, all the details that go into something like this and, or, or any number of things, but I think it's just been a, you know, a, a testament to, you know, your team and, and the, the partners that we work with that we, you know, I've been looking at this for a while. You know, we were, at, we were looking at it again before, you know, anything happened just because we had a sense that the pattern was going to be that people would be more interested in this. I know I've talked to you in the past about people that have driven a really long way to get to a test center. And, and this is something that is a huge help for those types of people. And I'm kind of curious to hear, I know, I know you've been involved in our certification business for a few years now. And so you've seen exactly how it runs with the test centers. And now we've got Oh, three weeks or so under our belt with online testing and just curious what kind of, you know, lessons you've learned, what kind of insights you've gained, what kind of response you've seen um, as we've entered this new phase. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's, there's a couple different threads there. So there's one, which is the ADA accommodations is probably the easiest one, easiest one for folks to think of. So there's the physical accommodations where it's difficult for someone to get somewhere and that's solved pretty well. There's things where people might need extra time. They don't have to go to a test center, so that's fine. There's tougher ones where you have to have a reader, and that's kind of a, a tough one to put. You can't really do that in someone's home, and we're trying to figure out ways of, of pulling that off where you know someone has limited sight and they're able to, to do that. In terms of expanding the, uh, the scope of accommodations, some, there's some things that may not be approved for accommodations. I, this, was, this is a, a fantastic story. We have a guy who, uh, who reached out, and he had – anxiety of, of a sort, let's say that, and really did not want to go to a testing center. And it was, it was borderline, not really borderline, but it was, it was, it's a tough diagnosis. And it's something that we always want to make sure we're fair with accommodations and on and on. And he said, look, you guys should have online testing. This was several weeks, several months ago. We're like, we know we're working on it. He's like, you should have it right now. You should talk to the government about doing that, or I'll talk to them for you. And we're like, Oh, okay. But we worked with him and we were trying to, we were trying to explain what our online testing side. So I've been in direct contact with him the entire time, providing an update every month or so of what's going on. And so when we decided to move forward, it was, hey, we're ready to go with all this right now today. He was blown away. And the way our exams work is if you don't show up, you lose your, you lose your voucher largely. It's a little bit different with online testing because sometimes there's some system issues, but I digress. The fact is he would be wasting money to go because he was too anxious to go. And now he's able to take it at his house. It's incredible. And then I think the, maybe, I guess it was more than two. The third part of this is the overall distribution of, yeah, three hours to a test center, four hours, whatever. Those are sometimes they're remote and sometimes test centers just close. The Pearson view, most people don't know, Pearson view basically 
authorizes test centers, but they're not Pearson View centers necessarily. There's different, there's, there are different ones that do that, but you can't just guarantee availability in a region. And they, they have a channel team that actually works very hard to make sure there's, there's availability. Sometimes there's not. Sometimes we've had people say that it's up to eight hours to get to a test center. So now they don't have to. And I think it's going to be interesting to watch kind of how that, how the demographics of that change. I, I don't know how big that market is, um, but I can't imagine. It's certainly not zero. So it's, it's exciting. And I think the, the one about accommodations, I mean, I literally was working directly with them and it was really cool to, to see that, that open up. That's fantastic. I think uh, this is going to expand far beyond our own certification testing and, and, and really into changing the way that education is provided generally in this country. And I was curious what you guys think about that. I know right now there's a lot of, sad students who are finishing up their years and their school years having to take classes online, but it's because it's a, a shapeshift for them. They're not used to it. But I see in the future more and more education at the collegiate level, especially, but even in high school being done uh, remotely and it'll get better and better, I think, so that it's not as, as disorienting as it is to today's students. So I'm seeing that with one of my own daughters right now who's going through that. And, uh, and I know that, um, Seth, you probably are too. And it's, um, it's going to be an interesting change, I think. I think this horrible pandemic thing we're going through is going to, on back end, is going to end up with some serious systemic changes to the way we do a bunch of things from work to education. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to watch how it evolves because I think looking at the news stories and, and hearing some of the analysis, the, the initial reaction seemed to be this is going to change everything um, because we, we found out that we can do these things online, et cetera, et cetera. I, I feel like now that we're a few more weeks into it, we've gone beyond the proof of concept into is this actually a sustainable thing? Uh, you know, is this something that you want to do long term? And I feel like more than anything, what it's doing is it's providing another option. Mm -hmm. And that option may not become the way of, of doing business or education or whatever it is, but it's another option and it's another lever to pull. Um, I'm kind of with you, Carolyn. I've watched how this has transpired across my college student, my high school student, and my junior high student. And at each level, I think there's been kind of a differing capabilities there. Uh, and we've talked so much on this podcast and with CompTIA about technology adoption isn't just about the technology, it's also about processes and workflow and having the people available to do these things. And, you know, Randy, you just described a ton of detail that went into this system. And obviously not every school district, every, every educational institution has that wherewithal. Uh, and, and so I think they've got the tools and now they would have to learn how to use them. And I, I think they do want to use them more. I know I've seen from our district saying things like, this is what we want to use rather than losing school to snow days. And, you know, I think that's great that they're exploring that option. I don't think that we're at a place where very many people would consider, yeah, let's just do this. Let's do e-learning forever. You know, I think, you know, parents having the kids around all the time, I mean, that's obviously disruptive to, you know, the, the, the schedule and just the workflow of a lot of parents. You know, they, they, they can't have their kids around the house constantly uh, if they're trying to do the work that they have. So the, the answer obviously is going to be somewhere in the middle, but I, I do appreciate that we've got this new option out there. 
very few things are binary. So it, it, I, I like your approach, Seth. I think it's just an option or an alternative. And we all learn differently. And it's also something that online learning can be used in a pinch for when in classroom is, is uh, not possible. And so just to sort of um, optimize both ways of doing things so that you can switch back and forth depending on uh, need is, is a good way to go. Yeah, I, I, I saw, uh, I think it was a quote from Bill Gates. He, he said that, you know, in-person learning is never going to go away. Right. And I could not agree more. I mean, we've, we've been at this, you know, civilization thing now for several thousand years. Um, and I don't think technology is going to, technology has absolutely modified it over the years for sure. But I think there's, there's just something there. You know, we've studied a lot of different ways of learning too. And it really, there's, there's no good right one answer for any of us. I think you're right. Like there's, it's going to, it's going to aid in how things work. I would say this, if you own stock in a remote proctoring company, you're, you're doing pretty well right now. <laughs> um, and so I, I think there's an article I saw yesterday from Examity, the, the CEO said that there are four to five X, they've increased that much in terms of their valuation. So, you know, there's that. I think, you know, you look at what happened with Zoom, you look at what happened with Teams, all those things I, I think have, have really aided. But at the end of the day, as human beings, we all want, we all want out of the house and we all want to go see other people and do stuff. So I think, you know, I was talking with a, uh, one of our partners in the Middle East this week and they've, they've moved to online training and then going to online testing. And they're happy we have it. But at the same time, the second that they can go back, I'd expect that they're still going to return the majority of their folks to um, in person. In person, I think it's never going to be the same, but I don't think it's going to be a complete shift to everything online and we just blow up all the brick and mortar. I just don't think that's going to happen. No, I totally agree. I think it's a, I think it's more of a backstop. It's you know something that you go, you use when you need to. I think online education has a very big place in a, in an adult reeducation people who have actual jobs but want to be learning in the evenings so that they can get a degree or some sort of certification. I think it plays a huge role there. But I agree with you that in-person learning is never going to go away. It will be the, the bedrock of, of the education system. But it's really nice to have these alternatives that help so many different types of people and types of situations like the one that we're going through right now. So I was curious, I'm switching gears a little bit here, but I'm a remote worker 24-7. I always have been, at least for the last 22 years of my career. And so to me, this hasn't been that big of a shift. But from your department's perspective, having all of CompTIA now have to move to home working uh, in a very quick fashion, what was that like? Was that a challenge? Was I mean, for people that have always gone into the office, and, and did, what did you need to do to just make sure that they were set up correctly, that things are secure? I'm just curious what sort of a hurdle that was. Yeah, you know, I think we had a pretty decent on-ramp with uh, people working remote, you know, a couple of days a week already, and some people probably working a little bit more than that, <laughs> um, <laughs> which was our two was our policy, but it was it was probably flexible. Um, I think the so I I made a, a point a decade ago that everyone's going to have a, a laptop, which to me, you know, coming from consulting was kind of a no brainer, but we hadn't really operated that way. So, so to think that 10 years later, there's still plenty of companies that don't have laptops is kind of remarkable. They're talking about VDI or, you know, whatever else to, to kind of go into that fixed infrastructure. So, you know, for CompTIA, I think that's one thing. Um, our IT staff gets annoyed with me when I talk too many details about things, but I think, you know, we're, it's pretty, 
pretty standard, the productivity tools we have as well, having nothing on-prem and everything in the cloud where scale is imminently available. Um, we were very fortunate to be able to obviously afford all that. And um, that's been helpful. I think more than anything, it's, it's behavioral change that's been relatively interesting to watch with a lot more people do video now. And that's been interesting. And I think people pay better attention on calls. There's a lot more work. It seems like just nonstop work that's happened and everything's kept up pretty well. In terms of the infrastructure, you know, we're able to manage all that remotely and have been for a long time. So I, I, there really isn't a whole lot that um, I think was different. But the only kind of funny thing was we, we made sure that we had our backup laptops we had we had you know it's a stock of them like most folks have that we moved to someone's house we could ship them if something really went wrong in retrospect like the office has we, we could still go in if we had to but it's been really nice like no one's had to do that so i don't know I, i've been happy with with how it's worked out i think staff have been happy um again if you think back to the remote proctoring though for five years ago it's not a viable thing thank god this didn't happen five years ago I mean, you guys were just talking about internet. You know, internet connectivity was a real thing. Like we had to check everyone's internet in order to pay them for their bandwidth or pay, pay them for their monthly stipend. We don't do that anymore. There's no point. And by the way, if you try to upload 200 gigs during the day of a backup, um, your internet's going to have a bad time. Just let you know that. Free advice there. But, Note um, to self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I, I think we've, we've, been, we've been fortunate. And we, I've talked with several other CIOs and they're they're really hamstrung by by not people not having other people's phone numbers because they're cell phones that they don't have and they didn't have good voice over IP. I mean, just like I wouldn't even I can't imagine that. So as a company of our size, uh, we we're we're lucky. I mean, we're pretty nimble in those regards. Yeah, I think that's a a, a good point to close on here. That you know the the common thread I think between all this discussion has been. Uh, the the amount to which people were preparing for the future. And this wasn't a future that anyone really envisioned. Um, but I, I think a lot of people could still kind of imagine that there needed to be different options in training or there needed to be more streamlined processes um, for any kind of disaster recovery. And I think we've seen in the research that a lot of companies had begun some kind of digital transformation journey uh, some of them were further along than others, and the ones that were further along, I think, were more prepared for this. Uh, and, and now everyone's really accelerating those initiatives. Uh, and I think even the ones that were prepared are able to continue to look into the future and imagine what they're going to be doing. Um, so I, I think that, you know, preparation is, is key here. And a lot of the things that we've been seeing in the research for a long time, companies haven't always been willing to make those investments. Uh, and right now, maybe they're not able to make the investments, but I think the willingness has probably gone up. And I think that as things turn around, we're going to see uh, that shift. And like we were just talking about with education and training options, you've got these options available uh, and companies are going to be trying to build them out a little bit more and maybe not swing completely one way or another, but at least be better prepared and, and better transformed. I agree. I think we'll have many lessons learned out of this experience that we're going through and uh, preparation is definitely at the top of the list. But yep. Andy, it's been great to have you on again, a second get a second time. So um, hopefully we'll make it a third time. Thank you. Well, for joining. I, hope, I hope so too. It, it'll be Seth's turn for the stories next time. Um, <laughs> I have a couple in mind. Yeah. I'm right. All right. What well, you got, a, you've got a lot that you've, <laughs> 
there's no shortage. <laughs> no shortage of high school stories. Seth, do, you, do we want to pitch our new little show that's coming up? I think we should. Yeah. Let everyone know that uh, starting on May 11th, uh, Carol and I are going to be trying to do a look ahead uh, at the week to come. We, we've had Volley here for almost four years now, uh, where we usually review things that have happened and we, we dive kind of deep. Um, and for this new show that we're going to have on LinkedIn, uh, it's going to be pretty quick, pretty casual, uh, but just kind of looking ahead at things that we think are important to know. So uh, again, look for that on May 11th. Um, I, I will include in the show notes all of our information about online testing, uh, and as well as a link to CompTIA's LinkedIn account uh, where the show will be happening. So looking forward to it. Yeah, I am too. It'll be fun. Thanks again, Randy. Thanks right, so everyone. much. You'll have a great weekend. Yeah. Take care. Bye-bye.